we have our final halftime um, for the school year this Wednesday. And so we would love for you guys to come out. We're going to have a lot of snacks, and it's going to be a time of prayer and worship as well as just covering um, the eighth graders in prayer um, as they move up to high school in the next couple weeks. And so um, we would love for you guys to come. That's going to be at 7 o'clock right here at the church. And so um, a lot of you guys already know that, but just wanted to extend an invitation out to you guys. It should be a great night. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me or any of the other leaders around. Sound good? Amen? Amen. So final announcement, too, just comes with camp. Um, how many of you guys are excited for camp? Yeah. Doo-doo-doo. Camp uh, registration, regular registration ends next Sunday night. And so everybody gasps together. <gasps> Not bad. Um, make sure that it, whether you are going to junior high or high school camp, that you get signed up for that because the registration will still be open. It'll just be a little more expensive, and we do not want you guys to pay any more than you need to. And so if you have any questions about that, if you need any financial help as well, feel free to ask myself or any of the other leaders around We do not want something like money to get in the way of you getting into the presence of God and spending it not only with him, but also with the church together. And so um, feel free to ask us about that. We'd encourage you guys to ask about that. If you're nervous about asking one of us about that, um, what I would just say is be courageous. We would love, we want to help you with that. And so um, I think that's it for now in terms of announcements. It's good to see you guys this morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. It's almost the end of school. And so... um, (laughs) Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We've been uh, going through this uh, story. If you you haven't been with us or or if you just haven't been listening, we've been going through the story on the life of David um, over the past month or so, and we're going to continue to go through it throughout the summer. And When you think about faith in God and what it looks like, David is one of those people in the Bible that that the Bible itself gives a lot of context and a lot of of scripture regarding because he was a man after God's own heart is how it would be described. And you know, when you read a lot of the New Testament, when you read a lot of the things that Jesus even spoke of, that this is what the kingdom of God looks like, David was someone who showed what the kingdom of God looked like by the way he lived his life. And I guess... One of the things that's beautiful about David's life, and even Jesus' life too, that's beautiful and watch and should be something that we are looking at daily, is the fact of this, is that you're watching someone acting in faith with God above. That was the picture that David did that was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, and I guess I would describe it like this. Let's say you, wanted to, let's say you ne- had never heard about basketball. Let's say you never heard about it at all, and so... Someone decided to give you a book that described what perfect basketball looked like. You had never watched it, you had never seen it, and you just read a book about it. You'd just be like, this seems like fun, I guess. Um, I'm reading about some sport that I have no idea that looks like. But then have, you go out and you watch a game. Let's say you go out and watch the Blazers. Let's say you go out and watch the Warriors or something of that matter, and you see basketball in a whole different light. You're experiencing it. You're watching them pass the ball. You're watching them shoot. You're watching them move in a whole different way. It was described in the book, but now you're seeing it happen before you. And it gives you a whole different context. How many of you ever had that moment where you saw something in action and you're like, I want to do that. I want to be that. I want to I do that. You see, with David and when you look at 
Jesus, that's what happens with faith because when you see the faithfulness of their own heart and the way that they live it out, it's something that engulfs you. It's something that surrounds you and even covers you to the point of saying, I want faith like that. That's how I want to follow God rather than just following, do this, don't do this, rules and commands of that nature. And last week we took a look at the scripture in chapter 18 in the beginning of it. Um, where we looked at Saul becoming jealous of David, and we saw this thing brewing in his heart, and we saw this destructive behavior start to happen towards David as someone as he saw as a threat, and you you started to see it manifest itself. And this is the second part of it. We're looking at kind of the second half of this next kind of chapter going into uh, 19. And so before we get into the Word, I did want to pray over it. And so, um, Father, we love you and we praise you. God, we ask that this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, would you, Lord, speak directly to our hearts just exactly what we need to hear from you. God, we open ourselves. Lord, we choose to listen to you this morning. We're not listening to a pastor. We're not listening to any person. Lord, we're listening to you this morning. And so, Lord, we just stop, and Lord, we're here to listen to you. Lord, I'm here to listen from you and what you have to say. And so, God, we give it to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would just speak. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. If you want to go to verse 12, that's we're going to actually reread just a couple of the verses that we finished off last time to give a little context for what we're reading through now. This is what it says in verse 12, chapter 18. It says that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. And in everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he had led him in their campaigns. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. We'll let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, who am I and what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel and Meholah. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, not Michael, Michal, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Father of the year over here with Saul, amen? Not exactly the kindest person um, to be giving his daughters away as a point of reference to try and cause someone to stumble. Um, But even then, you saw him doing that earlier as well. And so you can see this destructive nature start to happen inside of him where he's trying to passive-aggressively cause David to stumble by saying, oh, here's here's my daughter. And and you can marry her as long as you fight battles for me. But deep down inside, he's saying, hopefully he dies in battle. That will get rid of my issue. And yet, you see the humility of David, even in this moment. It's not a direct attack saying, I know what you're doing. But instead, he's with the respect of, of Saul or the respect for Saul. He says, who am I that I would become the king's son-in-law? And so it continues on. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately, and said, look, the king likes you. Last week we read in the same chapter that he threw a spear at him, so you could imagine David's hesitation. 
And his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. And they repeated these words to David, but David said, Do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. If you want to skip down to chapter 19, we're going to continue on in this story. It says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. This is the first time that Saul has publicly acknowledged that he wants to kill David because of this growing destruction that happens within him. Because in it, you, you see the passive aggressiveness. You see kind of the weaving around with his daughters. But now it's come to a point where that didn't work. And now it's becoming more public and it's becoming more direct that he would tell his son and his attendants, I want David dead. I, want, I don't want him around me anymore. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and I will tell him what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul um, to David, to Saul, his father, and said to him, "Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what has he done? And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, and you were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason?" And Saul listened to Jonathan and took his oath, as surely as the Lord lives. I promise to God, David will not be put to death. And so Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation, and he brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as he was before. And so he has this public acknowledgement, I'm going to kill him. And Jonathan, his son, goes, what are you thinking? This guy has been fighting your battles. This guy has been for you this entire time. You don't do that. Why would you do that? And Saul goes, you're right. And he makes this oath in their day where he says, as surely as the Lord lives, which is an oath before the Lord, he says, he won't be put to death. I promise he'll be okay. So David comes back into the house thinking everything is okay. Once more war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. Now this sounds familiar, but an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing with the lyre, or playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night David made good in his escape. Can we all say amen to God's word? So what you see happening here in the finish of this, you see a very, the exact same thing verbatim that happened earlier in the scripture that we talked about last week, where they're together and Something comes over Saul, and what we talked about even to the actual Hebrew of that translation of evil spirit from God is evil spirit allowed by God. And what that meant was Saul was someone who had been under the covering of God, and he had gone out from under it. That he said he was disobedient to God, he didn't want to follow the Lord, he wanted to do his own thing, would be the best way to describe it. And so from that, he walked out of the covering and made himself susceptible to things like that to hurt and to pain and to angst like that, and even to, to torment by not following the Lord. And so what you see there is he, he tries to attack David, and David eludes, and then it ends with this, that he made good, and he, he got out of there. He got out of there, and that was the last time that he would come back to the house in that fashion. And so when you, when you look at this scripture, you know, it's, it's not a real... <laughs> picker-upper, you know, a real happy scripture in that sense. It's, it's a lot of just kind of little stories that happen, but it shows this pattern 
that's happening through it. You see Saul and his destructive behavior, and it's starting to get more and more of him. Something that started with just a thought where he was, I'm going to keep my eye on David, began to grow into the jealousy and destruction. And that was something we talked about last week, and that can be easy to focus on throughout the story. But this morning, I wanted to look at the heart of David in this one specifically. Because when you talk about life, when you even look at what makes this scripture so, so different from other ones or even so relevant, it's this. It's, it's that love is something that happens and something we give no matter what the other person does. Sometimes when we read the Bible, maybe you're reading the story of the Samaritan woman. Maybe you're reading of tax collectors who repent. Maybe of the woman who was caught in adultery and left her life of sin or even Zacchaeus. Maybe there's this assumption that if you do everything right and you love everything right, everything is going to work itself out in the end, that people are going to act the way that you want them to. People are going to do the things that you want them to. And you know what? God works in amazing ways when we show the love of Christ in the hearts of people. But what about the times when it seems like nothing is happening? What about the times when it seems like it's only getting worse, they're not receiving something because... You see the respect of David. You see even the love that David had for Saul, that he would see it as an honor to be the king's son-in-law, that he would even still share a room with him, and even, even not retaliating and killing Saul because he had the right. Saul attacked him. That could have been a right enough to just turn around and kill him right there. But what you see is something else. You see a respect and even a watching over his life. And you see it escalating throughout the story of David when it, reached pinnacle, it reaches kind of a pinnacle point a couple times where David literally has Saul's life in his hands and he spares him. And he shows him grace and he shows him love in those moments. You see, this story in particular, it shows a major concept because things are brewing in the hearts of these two men, of Saul and David. One is brewing hate and jealousy and it's starting to rise up and to take care because he's not bringing it to the Lord. He's not before the Lord and addressing it. But the other side of it, you see a love brewing for Saul. You see a respect that's brewing for a man like Saul. And all of us have people like Saul that are in our lives, people that we see in immediate danger, people that we see could be future dangers. Or maybe you find yourself at the hands of people who are not following God. It could be a parent. It could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It could be a friend at school. And you find yourself in the exact same situation where you're just eluding spears is a good way to describe it. You're just sharing a room, and you just feel like people are just hucking at you. And you want everything in your power to pull that spear out of the wall and just throw it back at him. But that won't change anything. And what you see in this story is a man who loves like Jesus no matter how the other person treats him, or how it turns out in the end. And that's the thing about this story. This story ultimately ends, or this scripture that we read, ultimately ends with David on the run to save his own life. It's not the best ending to the story. The best ending would have been for Saul to repent, Saul to apologize and to call on the Lord, and then they lived happily ever after. But sometimes when we live in this world, it doesn't always end up that way. But that doesn't discredit the love of God or the work that God is doing. When you look at this story, it points to something so, so powerful, and it's this. Jesus loves those who persecuted him, not just in the past, and not just those who have changed, but those presently persecuting and those who will persecute him in the future. Because it can be easy to love someone after they've changed. 
Sometimes we hold reserves of love away from people until we feel that they've qualified for our love or that we feel like they've qualified and that there's a heart change that's going on. But when you look at Christ and you look at the love and what makes it truly radical, it's, that, it's this. It's loving those who are presently against you, people who are presently your enemy. Because what it says as well in, at the end of 1 Samuel 18 I think this sums it up well in verse 29. If you're looking at it, it's not going to be up on the board. It says, Saul became more afraid of him, and then listen, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Saul took a stand, and he said, I'm going to be your enemy. But what David does is he says, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to respect you because who you are and what God had called you and the position that you're in. You know, there was a story that I heard um, a while back, it was of um, someone who came to a church on a Sunday morning to protest the church. He wasn't a believer by any means, um, but he came to the church, and he came, and he just, he came up on the stage with a sign and began shouting. It's, it is something pretty, pretty just, whoa, like, hey, buddy, <laughs> you know, like, want to read the scripture, you know, kind of a moment, and he was escorted out um, in it, and what the story said was that after the service, there were tons of people who had come outside in anger of this person and that they were angry and that they were shouting at this person. But then one person came out of those, just that crowd. This is what he did. He walked up to the person and said, hey, I want to hear your heart. Want to go to lunch? And the guy said, sure. And they went out to lunch. And they talked about everything that was going on in his heart and everything going on in his life. You see, what you see in that moment, that's the difference between a Saul love and a David kind of love. That's the difference between the world's love and a Christ-like love. Is that you don't just love when it suits you, but you love no matter what happens before you. In Luke 6, 32, Jesus is actually talking about love for your enemies, and he's talking about, you know, Turn the other cheek. He says, walk an extra mile. Give extra if people are persecuting you. He says to love those who persecute you. And then he says this in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Because even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lending to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I want to reread that. You will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's the same love that God has for us because the truth of the matter is we made a declaration before God that we were his enemy by our sin. In the same way that Saul made a declaration that he was going to be an enemy of David, so did humanity, so did we, whether we knew it or not. But God came into the picture and he changed the whole nature of the relationship that we have. He didn't make us less enemies or more tolerable enemies but he made us friends. He made us people that we walk together in life. He made us family. He changed everything by the way that he loved. When you read 
stories like this or when you look at even stories kind of unconditional love like that, maybe the question comes to your mind, why would he do that? Why would God do that for us? Or why would someone like David do something like that? Because I'm throwing a spear. I'm going after him. Why would God, why would, why would he be weak like that? And that is not weakness. That's courage and that's true strength is to hold back from what you shouldn't do. Here's why. See, God doesn't just tell us what we should do. But God also readies himself to catch us when we fail. I want to reread that. God doesn't just tell us what we should do. God isn't just a woulda, coulda, shoulda God. This is what you should do. This is what you could do. This is what you're supposed to do. Sometimes we, we think that's God, and then we stop right there, and we think that's it. That's all God is. But you know what? God is that. God leads us to everlasting life, but he also catches us and saves us from death. He shows us the path to righteousness, but he's also the first one to hold us when we stray from that path. See, God's really interesting, and he's pretty funny. He's hilarious, actually. See, have you ever wondered why God would create the earth or that he would create the Garden of Eden if it was just going to end up like this? Have you ever wondered why God would create the law if we were just going to break it? Have you ever wondered why God would create the world as it is if we just needed a savior? Have you ever wondered why God would create the tablets of the law for Moses if he was just going to break them? It's like, thank you, Moses. You know, like, just hold on to your temper for one second, you know? Even in this story... You know, God made a command that they shouldn't have a king because they have a true king in heaven. But then what it says in Deuteronomy 17, it says, but when you have a king, here's what you need to do. It's like God has this plan, but then he also understands what we're really going to do. God has this contingency. He has this, he has this kind of way of understanding what we're truly going to be and what we're going to do. And so that was actually a question Last week at halftime that one of the students asked me, he said, why, why did God just create the world as it is right now? Why didn't he just create everything perfect? And the truth is, he did. He did create everything perfect, but we chose this instead. It's exactly what we want. And we find ourselves in these situations where we have failed and we have built walls before God, and we need God in those moments more than ever. Because if you only love if you only love people when they do the right things, or if you only leave it at woulda, coulda, shoulda, this is what you're supposed to do, then what's going to happen is you're just going to be living in shame. You're going to be living in judgment of one another, of the people in this room. You're going to be sitting here wondering if people knew what I did. People in this room knew what I did. They would hate me. When in reality, it's no, we should know everything that everyone's doing and still love each other. That's what makes us the church. See, when you, when you go through this story, David's love for Saul is exactly like God's love for the world right now. The world is broken right now. We are not in absolute perfect relationship with God like it will be one day. But that does not stop God from loving us with an unconditional love despite brokenness, despite hurt, and despite pains. I love this quote. I just thought of this, um, and I'm pretty sure it was the Spirit. Jesus has the power and wisdom to keep you out of trouble, but he's the first one to visit you in prison to get you out. That's the heart of God. He has all the power and the wisdom to lead you in everlasting life, 
but he's also the first one to, to be there for us and to help us back on the path when we fall. Nothing surprises God. Our sin doesn't surprise him. I think in this story, too, nothing surprised David, even in the destructiveness of it, the way that he lived. But he did make a commitment to love him no matter what. David didn't love Saul for what he should do, but he loved him no matter what. It's the exact same way that God loves us because his love covers our past failures and it covers our future failures as well. And just like the verse that was shared earlier before worship from Romans 5, 8, where it says, this is how God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, while we were in the fullness of our brokenness and rebellion of God, Christ died for us. Even in the midst of so many walls and so much distance and unforgiveness between us and God, God was doing everything in his power to reach you and to reach through you to others. See, how much more than when we come to God and say, God, I'm broken. God, I have stuff I need to work on. God, I'm hurting. I'm in pain right now, and I need you. How much more would God receive us? And then you even think about the people around you. How much more would God receive them even in the way that they're presently maybe treating you or other people around you? See, when you, th- when you read that, maybe it could even beg the question, well, if God loves me no matter what, why does it even matter what I do? Why does it even matter what anyone does? See, God gets how destructive sin can be in our lives. He gets it more than we even get it. Sometimes it's funny because it's like when we, when we sin, it's like we're drinking this poison, but we're addicted to it. Or we love it and we think it's good and then... Our only way that we would think about it is, I hope no one finds out about it. I hope no one, I hope God, I hope my parents, I don't hope anybody finds out about the sin. And God's like, that's, don't worry about that. Just bring it to me. Just come out. Don't worry about what you look like around people because you're drinking poison. You're dying and you're starting to change. It's starting to take life from you. And yet, sometimes we, we can look at it in a very kind of small way and say, I just hope people don't find out. I hope people don't find out about it. When really God's like, no. No, 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 no. That's not what it's about. Sin is killing you. And equally so, how life-giving his commands are. God knows the destructiveness of sin, but he also knows the life that his commands can bring around us, whether we know it or not. That's where faith comes in and trusting him that, God, if I do this, God, if I say no to this, God, if I hang around these people, if I don't hang around these people, God, I can't see the future, but I trust you, and I trust the life that's going to come from it. Lord, I trust what you're going to do and and the redemption that you're going to do in that. You see, when you look at someone like Saul, he was destroying himself by the way he was living. He was destroying his family. Look at the way he treated his daughters. Look at the way he treated his son, his son's best friend. He told him, I'm going to kill your best friend. That's messed up, (laughs) you know. I'm not a dad, but probably not a good, good thing to do as a dad, amen? You see the destructiveness of it happening around him, and you see it hurting him and his family around him. Sometimes with sin, we just think, maybe we think with God, it's like, okay, if I come to the Lord, then that means I'll never have to suffer the consequences of anything that I have to do. Meanwhile, we're hurting people around us because we almost use God as a reason to sin even more. And then we go, hey, you forgive me, right? Yeah. But there's brokenness from the sin that happened. And God can cover it, and God can build a place for trust to be rebuilt. 
But there's a reason why God doesn't want us to be in sin is because of the brokenness of it. Doesn't mean that God won't be with us if we were to sin because he would be right there with us. He'll be right there in the brokenness of it. That's what you see in this story. That's what you see in the scripture in this story is that God continues to love those who are broken and falling away from him in the same way that David loved Saul despite that. Amen? See, I actually had a story when I used to help out with the college group a couple years ago. I was discipling a kid. Um, it's about my age. And then one day after church, he just needed to talk to me. He needed to admit something. And it was um, something I was not expecting at all, but it actually put myself in danger, and it put a lot of people in the college group at danger at the time. And it was one of those things where something was happening that required him to step out of the group. He couldn't be around it because of the destructive behavior that was happening that could hurt people around him, including myself. It was actually just directed at me. And so I remember we had to ask him to leave the group, which was a very difficult thing to do. And the only reason we would ever ask anyone to leave is because of their own health and them needing to get healthy, not because of, you're such a terrible person. That's not God's heart at all. But I remember we kept our relationship going kind of at a distance as he began to heal, and he really, really struggled with what he was kind of dealing with at that point. And I remember my time in the college group came up to an end, and I ended up moving to Florida to teach at a tennis academy. And after a couple months, I actually came back home, and I visited the college group, and he had reached a point where he had gotten healthy enough to come back to the group. And I'll never forget this. It was a Friday night, and I remember seeing him just outside um, the house where we had our college group, and he saw me, and he immediately just looks down. You could just see the shame on his face for maybe the way and even the things that he treated me. And I remember in that moment the Holy Spirit just saying, Jeff, you need to hug him. Jeff, you need to love him right now. You need to reaffirm that he is loved even though he fell and there were consequences to his action. So I did that. That's what I did. And you could even just see the shock and the surprise on his face of just a simple hug, of just simple love even in that moment. I think that's what God has in store from us to others but in the same way, maybe you see God and you're immediately looking down. Maybe you're looking down because you feel ashamed. And you would think the last thing God would want to do for you is hug you and love you and ask how you're doing and want to partner with you and be your friend. That's exactly what God wants to do. You see, David experienced the separation and even the consequences of Saul's actions firsthand. He experienced all of it. He, spoken, he experienced the brokenness firsthand. And yet at the same time, he was the first one of people to love Saul. It's truly Christ's heart for you, and it's truly Christ's heart for you to others as well. And so, Allie, if you want to come back up, we're going we're gonna to close in worship. But I do want us to respond to this. I think there's a lot of different ways that we can respond to this message that God has for us. Because when you look at this story... You see things starting to shift. You see things starting to go downhill. You see hurt starting to happen. And yet in it, David himself continues to respect, continues to speak highly. I'm just, I'm nothing compared to him. He's the king. What an honor it would be to be his son-in-law. I'm going to continue to fight the battles of the Lord for him. I'm going to continue to share space. I'm going to continue to play worship for him even if it means risking a spear coming at me. And you know what? Because of Saul's actions, it created a break, a safe break for David. He had to get out of there. 
But you know what? Even amidst the break, even amidst the separation, that never stopped David's love and respect for him. I think this morning, I think there's just a couple of ways that we can respond. If you just want to close your eyes, don't, don't worry about your neighbor. God is here.